So the reading is Exodus 9, verse 13 to 35, and it's on page 66. The plague of hail. Then the Lord said to Moses, get up early in the morning, confront Pharaoh and say to him, this is what the Lord, the God of the Hebrews says, let my people go so that they may worship me. Or this time I will send the full force of my plagues against you and against your officials and your people. So you may know that there is no one like me in all the earth. For by now I could have stretched out my hand and struck you and your people with a plague that would have wiped you off the earth. But I have raised you up for this very purpose, that I might show you my power and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. You still set yourself against my people and will not let them go. Therefore, at this time tomorrow, I will send the worst hailstorm that has ever fallen on Egypt from the day it was founded till now. Give an order now to bring your livestock and everything you have in the field to a place of shelter, because the hail will fall on every person and animal that has not been brought in and is still the word of the Lord. Hurry to bring their slaves and their livestock inside. But those who ignored the word of the Lord left their slaves and livestock in the field. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand towards the sky so that hail will fall all over Egypt, on people and animals, and on everything growing in the fields of Egypt. When Moses stretched out his staff towards the sky, the Lord sent thunder and hail, and lightning flashed down on the ground. So the Lord rained hail on the land of Egypt. Hail fell and lightning flashed back and forth. It was the worst storm in all the land of Egypt since it had become a nation. Throughout Egypt, hail struck everything in the fields, both people and animals. It beat down everything growing in the fields and stripped, stripped every tree. The only place it did not hail was the land of Goshen, where the Israelites were. Then Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron. This time I have sinned, he said to them. The Lord is in the right, and I and my people are in the wrong. Pray to the Lord, for we have had enough thunder and hail. I will let you go, and don't have to stay any longer. You don't have to stay any longer. Moses replied, When I have gone out of the city, I will spread my hands in prayer to the Lord. The thunder will stop, and there will be no more hail. So you may know that the earth is the Lord's. But I know that you and your officials still do not fear the Lord God. The flax and barley were destroyed since the barley had headed and the flax was in bloom. The wheat and spelt, however, was not, were not destroyed because they ripened later. Then Moses left Pharaoh and went out of the city. He spread out his hands towards the Lord. The thunder and hail stopped and the rain no longer poured down on the land. When Pharaoh saw that the rain and hail and thunder had stopped, he sinned again. He and his officials hardened their hearts. So Pharaoh's heart was hard, and he would not let the Israelites go, just as the Lord had said through Moses. This is the, Lord of, Lord of, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. 
We thank you for what you did in the book of Exodus. And we pray, please, as we look at this plague uh, and the plagues more generally, Father, please would you open our eyes more to your glory and change us and shape us by what we read. Amen. Now, we saw last week a bit about why God sent the plagues and God's bigger plan in rescuing the Israelites. He said he wanted Moses and the Israelites to know him. Do you remember we said that last week? That was the bigger plan. Yes, he could have rescued them in other ways, but what he wanted was for them to know the Lord, know him in experience, know him in a deeper way than previous generations had ever known him. And here we see the Lord telling Pharaoh why he is sending the plagues. It's right at the beginning. He tells Moses to go to Pharaoh and tells him what to say to Pharaoh. And verse 13 and 14, here's the reason. Have a look again. So the Lord says to Moses, get up early in the morning, go and confront Pharaoh and say to him, this is what the Lord, the God of the Hebrews says, let my people go so that they may worship me or this time I will send the full force of my plagues against you and against your officials and your people so you may know that there is no one like me in all the earth. Through sending these plagues, the Lord wants Pharaoh to know there is no one like him. He wants Pharaoh to know more of the Lord. And then interestingly, God says, verse 15, I could have wiped you out. I could have stretched out my hand and sent a plague and wiped you out. You see, these plagues, you might be tempted to think God has to send ten plagues because, well, it's a bit like two boxers in the ring fighting each other and they need ten rounds for one of them to come out on top. Maybe that's how it is with God and Pharaoh, that it's this equal battle and who's going to come out on top? And God says, no, it's not like that at all. I could have wiped you out. I could have done it in a moment. But I didn't. Verse 16 tells why. I've raised you up for this very purpose that I might show you my power and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. Pharaoh, I want you to know how powerful I am and I want the world to know. And that is why I'm doing what I'm doing. And so we're going to see two points from this passage And the first is this, the awesome power of God. That's clearly what God is wanting to get across. He wants Moses to know it. He wants the Israelites to know it. He wants Pharaoh to know it. He wants the whole earth to know it, that he is powerful, that he is mighty. And we do see that in the list of the plagues. So if we have the next slide, just back to this, uh, this, all of the plagues, what you see here is God wielding his creation as his weapon, don't you? I mean, you see it in, uh, in turning the water to blood, frogs, gnats, and as you go through, you see God is wielding his creation as his weapons. And there is a progression in the plagues uh, that others have spotted There's a progression that roughly goes, you go from the river, out of the river, the frogs, uh, and you go sort of going up. You you go to livestock, 
you go to the sky with the hail and fire and with the darkness, and then you end up on the first one. There's a kind of movement up which is showing God has power over the whole of creation. He can use it all as he decides, as he determines. Thank you. Next, uh, next slide. And so with the hail, oh, we're not there yet. Okay. And so with the hail, we come back to the hail. God is wielding his creation. And he does it in the hail, sending this terrible storm of hail, which would have been utterly frightening. Uh, I've got a little video of um, some hailstorms and how devastating they can be. Let's just see this. Hailstones crash through windows. They shred trees and crops, pummel livestock, damage roofs, wreak havoc on cars and everything underneath its wrath. Hail can turn a scorching summer ground into a winter wonderland. Sometimes baseballs just fall from the sky. Other times, strong winds hurl hailstones sideways like bullets. If you're caught away from shelter during a severe hailstorm, you've got a problem. If you're a storm chaser, hail is your nemesis. Oh man, no hail please. Yet you proudly wear your hail dents like victory battle scars. Brand new truck, right? Oh yeah. There you go. So that's um, hailstorms and how bad they can be. You see the size of some of those hailstones. Imagine that falling down on you. This storm in Egypt, I hope that gives you a kind of flavor of just how terrifying this would be because this was worse. I mean, you saw those cows being hit by hailstones. This is even worse because God says in this one, anything outside is going to die. The livestock will, the people will, if they're still outside. And this was the Lord's warning. He says, verse 18, the worst hailstorm is going to hit. Give orders, verse 19, to bring your livestock and everything inside. And some do, verse 20 and 21, some of Pharaoh's officials do bring their livestock and slaves in because they fear the word of the Lord, but others ignore it and leave their slaves and livestock outside. And then verse 22 to 25 God delivered exactly what he said onto the Egyptians. Moses raises his staff to the sky. Thunder, hail and lightning hit. And verse 25, throughout Egypt, hail struck everything in the fields, both people and animals. It beat down everything growing in the fields and stripped every tree. I wonder if you've experienced a power that is far, far greater than you. Powerful storm, maybe, or maybe a, even a powerful animal that you've been in the presence of, a big beast that you, you just know is terrifying in its power. There is a fear, isn't there? When, if you've been in a terrible storm or near a terrible storm, there is a fear that comes over you that, that this is far greater than you and you pray and you hope that it doesn't come towards you or that animal, you pray it doesn't put its eyes on you because you know you could be consumed, you could be uh, taken over by it and, uh, and you would stand no chance. 
that feeling we experience in the presence of that kind of power should be even greater when we come before the Lord because he is one who is so powerful that he wields the storm. It's why when the disciples were in the boat with Jesus in a deadly storm and they call on Jesus saying, we're going to drown And he gets up and calms the storm with words, just saying, quiet, be still, and the storm is calmed. And the disciples are terrified. They're not relieved when the storm ends like that. They are more frightened because they're with one who can still the storm with a word. There is the Lord God in all his power and might, in Jesus stilling the storm, in Exodus with the hailstones falling. And frighteningly, the Lord's eye is on Pharaoh. His might is turned against him. Why? Verse 17. You still set yourself against my people and will not let them go. Because Pharaoh has set himself against God's people and therefore against God. It would be a terrifying thing for this power to come against you. And we need to know that the warning in the Bible is that that is exactly where mankind is headed The book of Revelation we looked at some time ago, uh, the last book of the Bible, at various points in it, talks about what will happen in the future, where mankind is heading. And humanity is heading for a day when the Lord God will bring justice. And all who've rejected God and his goodness will face the full force of his anger. And very often in Revelation, the imagery of the, exodus, of the plagues in Exodus are used. It speaks about rivers turning to blood, of frogs, of hail, and so on, which I don't think is necessarily saying exactly those things will happen, but it's saying, look back to the Exodus and those plagues and how terrible they were. They are a foretaste of what mankind is going to face at judgment. And it's frightening because the problem for us is that all of mankind has set itself against God. Now you might wonder how. How has mankind set itself against God? If you aren't a Christian, you you probably don't think of yourself as having turned against God. You you, you haven't raged against God. You might think, well, how, how is this the case? But we need to understand that we reject God by replacing him. That's what Romans 1 tells us, that mankind, here's a quote from Romans 1, exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the creator. We replace God serving and worshipping created things, not the creator. How do we replace God? Well, one way that we see it around us is just by ignoring God's word, by disobeying God. God is the rightful ruler of this creation and is the rightfully the one who can tell us what is good and bad, right and wrong, and yet we decide we will replace God 
generally with ourselves. We say, no, I will decide what is good and bad, right and wrong. And so we replace God. But more than that, yes, we disobey God's word, we we decide we will be the arbiters of what is right and wrong, good and bad, but more than that, you see, we were created, yes, to obey God, but also to love God and worship God. We were made to find our security in God, our fulfilment in him, and to have our hearts satisfied by his love. But we replace him and we seek security in finances. We seek fulfillment in a career and we seek soul satisfying love from another person. We reject God by replacing him. And the things we replace him with may well be good things. Money isn't bad. Career isn't a bad thing. And and loving another person and being loved by them is not a bad thing. But they can't give us what God can give. So we go through life anxious, unfulfilled, and with an unquenchable thirst for a deeper love. We set ourselves against God by replacing him, which is not only damaging for us, it is wrong and it pits ourselves against the awesome God who made us. It is a frightening thing to think that mankind is heading towards judgment. As we see the awesome power of God, we should be taken aback by but God is also merciful. And we do see that in this, these plagues. After all, remember that he warns Pharaoh about them. Over and over, the plagues begin with Moses being sent to Pharaoh. He doesn't just send the plagues straight away, he sends Moses first to warn Pharaoh to say, look, this is what's going to happen if you keep going in rebellion against God. And for the hail, God tells Pharaoh exactly how bad it's going to be and warns him to bring his livestock in. You see, God in his love sends a warning first. And God in his love for us tells us of judgment so we will respond. So we will take action. So the first point is the awesome power of God. The second point is the intimate power of God. You see, these plagues show us God on a big scale, wielding creation, but also on a very small, intimate scale, at the level of a person's heart and desire and feelings. And that person is Pharaoh. See, as you go through the plagues, there is a pattern that recurs. Uh, That Pharaoh, uh, after the plagues have hit, then says, okay, I'll let you go. Or as we saw earlier, he says, I've sinned. Uh, You know, please pray that the the plague will stop. And Moses prays and the plague stops. And then Pharaoh's heart is hardened. And would you notice, just have a look at verse 34. When Pharaoh saw that the rain and hail and thunder had stopped, he sinned again. He and his officials hardened their heart. So Pharaoh's heart was hard and he would not let the Israelites go just as the Lord had said through Moses. 
Now, do you notice there who hardens Pharaoh's heart? It said there, Pharaoh hardens his heart. But at this point in the various plagues, actually you get different things said. If you read through all the plagues, you get different things said. So let's see the next, the next slide. Here are just some of them. After the frogs, it says Pharaoh hardened his heart. After the flies, Pharaoh hardened his heart. After the boils, the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. The locusts, the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. Darkness, the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. Now, what does that tell us? Who is it that hardens Pharaoh's heart? Is it the Lord or is it Pharaoh? And the answer is both. Pharaoh hardens his own heart, the Lord hardens his heart, which reveals to us the extent of the Lord's power. Do you notice here, this is saying the Lord has the power even over Pharaoh's heart. Like the power of ice, which can be dramatic as glaciers go through and smash everything in their path, yet can also be very, very small as it just goes into water, goes into a crack in a rock, freezes and breaks open that rock. So the Lord God has awesome power and intimate power, power that will go even into people's hearts. Maybe that's a challenge for us, because don't we like to think, well, God wouldn't cross that line of, 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 of determining someone's heart. Maybe we think our wills, our hearts belong to us and they are our castle. God wouldn't breach them. But here is the Lord hardening Pharaoh's heart. And yet Pharaoh is not being forced to do something he doesn't want to do. He's doing exactly what he wants to do. And the Lord holds him responsible for his actions. Do you see the incredible power of God here? That he can even work in the heart of his enemy to determine how he will behave and what he wants to do. And the Lord still works at the level of hearts today. You may have wondered at times, you may have thought, why is it more people aren't Christians? Why is it that people don't turn to... I mean, it seems obvious. And if you're a Christian, it seems obvious. If you're not a Christian, you think, well, it's not that obvious. But if you're a Christian, and maybe you went to the Mark drama last week and you sat there and you watched it, it's so moving. Uh, and you might think, how can anyone not respond to what's gone on? How can anyone not respond to Jesus? Well, what does it take for someone to become a Christian? There are several places you can go to in the Bible which answer that question, which actually give two answers which parallel what we see with Pharaoh. With Pharaoh, you see the Lord hardening his heart and himself hardening his heart. And actually, you see both things in a way with how people become Christians, but in the opposite direction. One place you can look to is Romans chapter 9. Would you just turn there, Romans chapter 9, verses 14 to 18? So if you go on to the next slide, I think it gives us the page number. Uh, for that. There we go, page 1136. So page 1136, Romans chapter 9, verses 14 to 18. Now, at this point in Romans, Paul is dealing with this exact issue. How is it that anyone becomes a Christian? How is it that anyone turns to the Lord? And he has been arguing that it is God who does it. God has to work in people's hearts for people to become Christians. And then he quotes from 
the chapter in Exodus that we just looked at, that we've just been looking at, of the, the plague of hail. And so, verse 14 to 18. What then shall we say? Is God unjust? Is, is he unjust that it's him who's got to work in people's hearts and lives uh, and that he condemns those who don't turn to him? He says, not at all. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. It does not therefore depend on human desire or effort, but on God's mercy. For scripture says to Pharaoh, I raised you up for this very purpose, that I might display my power in you and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. Therefore, God has mercy on whom he wants to have mercy and he hardens whom he wants to harden. There you go. So how does someone become a Christian? Through God softening their hearts. It has to happen. No one will become a Christian unless God does that. Every time a person becomes a Christian, it's a miracle. You're a miracle if you became a Christian, if you've turned to Christ. That is a miracle. God did that in your heart. And yet the very next chapter in Romans, God says for someone to become a Christian, it takes their turning to God. So you'd have a look, Romans chapter 10, verse 9. So just on, the, on that next page, uh, page 1137, chapter 10, verse 9, top of the right-hand column, where it says, if you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the, the dead, you will be saved. So what's got to happen? You've got to turn to the Lord, turn to Jesus, and you'll be saved. So, you put those two things together. What's got to happen for someone to become a Christian? The, the Lord God has to soften a person's heart. They won't become a Christian unless he does. But also, that person has to turn to Jesus and put their trust in him. And if they do, if anyone does, if you do that now, you will be saved. Both has got to happen. But notice, God does need to work in our hearts. He has to be at work. Which means we need to do two things. We need to pray that the Lord would soften people's hearts to respond to the gospel. And we need to present the gospel, persuading people to turn to Jesus. We pray and we present. And since it's the Lord's work to bring people to faith, we don't get discouraged if they don't. We don't give up, but we keep praying and looking for opportunities to present the gospel. We pray and we present. And so I also want to ask you today, if you have responded to the message about Jesus, because we all need to, have you turned to God? Which seems counterintuitive. When you grasp his awesome power, you might think after the first point, well, the last thing I want to do is turn towards the Lord. He seems utterly terrifying. But the only way to be safe from the coming storm of judgment is to go to the heart of it, to go to the centre of it, to go towards it, to go to the Lord, to go to God, to go to Jesus. Maybe you see you are a rebel, that you've replaced God in your life and you need to go to him. In Psalm 2, the kings of the earth are pictured as rebelling against God. And it says God rebukes them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath. That is God's awesome power. And towards the end of the psalm, it says this, Therefore, you kings, be wise. Be warned, you rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and celebrate his rule with trembling. Kiss the son or he will be angry 
and your way will lead to your destruction. The only way to be safe from the Lord, from his awesome power, is to kiss the Son. That is an act of loyalty and worship. Kiss the Son, come to Jesus. There is a place of safety from the coming wrath. You may have noticed there was a place of safety in the storm of hail. It was in the land of Goshen, where the Israelites were, where God's people were. And through the rest of the plagues, Goshen remains a safe place. Well, the Lord has provided a safe place for us. But the only way to get there is to come to him. It is to come to the cross of Jesus. Because there the wrath of God, the awesome power of God was poured out on Jesus. So any who can come to him, any who will come to him, can be safe. Come to the cross. Kiss the sun. Go to him, to the eye of the storm. It's the only way to be safe. And if you do, when you do, be thankful to the Lord that that is his work in your heart. It is the Lord's intimate work in your heart to bring you to faith. So we've seen the awesome power of God and the intimate power of God. I'm going to lead us in a prayer. Heavenly Father, we praise you that in these plagues we see your awesome power. We are confronted by it. And in your word we are warned that mankind will face that judgment. But we thank you also for your intimate work to bring people to faith in Jesus, to turn hearts to yourself. And thank you that there is a safe place through Jesus and his death for us. Amen.